Welcome to New Hope Underground's bonus content episode. And here are your hosts for this special question and answer extravaganza, Darren Hansen and Tyler Stecky. Hey, welcome to New Hope Underground, and this is our bonus content. Now, Tyler Yoakum is not here, which means that I have another Tyler, Tyler Sturkey. Close enough. <laughs> but Pastor Tyler's here, and we're going to be going through some questions and answers. Uh, this bonus content is about, we just had a series here at New Hope Church called Asking for a Friend, where we talked through several different ma- major questions that people might have concerning the Bible and faith. And then we, we asked people to submit their own questions online, and we had a little panel discussion where we got to answer some of them. But we had like 66 questions submitted. We couldn't get to all of them. And so here on Underground, in a bonus content way, and also on our, our other sister podcast called GL Talk for Group Leader Talk, We'll be having bonus content there as well. And there's probably going to be maybe four or five different releases that we'll be doing with bonus content, seeking to answer all the questions that were given that we did not get to in the panel, which are quite a few. So it's it's quite a few uh, quite a few minutes, maybe some hours of yeah, uh, discussion. Yeah. But we wanted to get it out there because we wanted anybody who asked a question, we wanted to understand you to understand that you're valued and we, we appreciate the question and we want to answer the best we can. So in saying that, uh, we're going. One of the one of the questions that was actually put that was submitted. Uh, you need, need to hear this because this falls right al- along the underground podcast. Someone actually submitted this question, which wasn't a question at all, but a statement. No, nothing to do with this series, but how great is the New Hope Underground podcast? I mean, really, pretty amazing journalism. And I think that I just whoever did wrote you that submit I, that question. I did not did. submit it. Believe it or not, someone actually a fan submitted it. Whoever it was, thank you very much. And, and your uh, we, $20 dollars will get sent to you. We do think we have minute. pretty amazing journalists. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate the, the Underground Podcast is a lot of fun. And we didn't want to discontinue it for the sake of questions and answers. Yeah. You know, so we're, that's why we're doing a bonus, bonus content. Bonus content. Everybody loves <laughs> bonus content. But the, anyway, that's what this episode is about. So if you're listening, you know, you're going to get inundated with a lot of questions and hopefully you know our best attempt at answers. And I love what... Pastor Tyler always says we're going to try to give a sure word, but not a final word on things. Yeah. Uh, we don't have the corner of the market on truth or anything. We're just doing the best we can yeah. to try to answer some of these questions that you have. So uh, I'll let you uh, lead out. All right. So uh, the the first questions that we see come out of a, a particular—I mean, basically, there, there are so many questions asked. They all kind of uh, fit together in maybe certain categories. So we try to create categories so we could at least create some sort of— system to the chaos and so uh, we actually have an old testament group of questions a lot of different questions that pertain to various aspects of old testament old testament theology that type of thing so we'll kind of go from there so the first one is why did god use prophets in the old testament and then there's this kind of a second follow-up why were these people chosen does god still use prophets good questions yeah so uh well to start out um Probably the best way that I have heard the purpose of the prophets in the Old Testament were that they were, for lack of, I'm trying to think if I'm using the phrase correctly, um, they were to, they were sent by God to remind people of covenant obligations, meaning first five books of the 
Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy, is the story of how Abraham's family, this chosen family by God, were eventually given God's revelation of himself, the Old Testament law, Ten Commandments, all that. Um, and it formed a new nation, the nation of Israel. Well, of course, as you read on in the book of Judges and on, man, the people of Israel kept going off into idolatry, serving other gods. They kept leaving the commitments that they had made to God by making this covenant with him. And so the purpose of the prophets, I mean, literally from Samuel, who is considered uh, kind of the first prophet, I guess. On. Well, you have Elijah and Elisha as well. Well, yes. I guess they were after Samuel. Yeah, they would be after. Yeah. I mean, I guess technically Moses was considered a prophet as well because he was given, yeah. the law was given through Moses. Yeah. Um, but then Samuel... They, they were preachers. Yes. Samuel was the first of the non-writing prophets, um, and then Elisha, uh, Elijah, Elisha, and, and so on, and then, of course, many of the writing prophets and so on and so forth. But they were known essentially as almost like the covenant enforcers. They were the ones, which that actually sounds really cool. It sounds like a superhero team. But essentially, they were sent by God to remind people about the covenant, the agreement that the people of Israel had made with God, um, and warning them of the dangers of departing from that covenant. Some of these prophets would preach and teach among just the people of God, just regular people. Some of them were, you know, right next to a king and had his ear yeah. because they were trying to remind a whole country uh, and a whole a whole country of people, Israel, uh, how they were getting away. So it uh, kind of speaks God. to the question also of why were the uh, why were these people chosen? Um, now, like I said, they were chosen to. I mean, essentially be the mouthpiece of God to remind the people of their covenant obligations. Now, another nuance of that question was, why were these particular people chosen? Um, and the simple answer is, I don't know. Yeah. That's God's own providence of, of, of him choosing to use who he wants. And a lot of the prophets are very different. Yeah. Their personalities. Some of them were farmers. Yeah. Some of them, like, I mean. Different Darren, backgrounds. Darren just said some of them were. Uh, connected to royalty. Uh, some of them were just simple shepherd. I think there's one that was a shepherd. Um, so Amos I mean, was a shepherd. And yeah, then like right. Jonah, you know, there's a guy with the whale and has to go to the capital city of his enemy. Yeah, so he That's was just crazy. He wasn't yeah. even a prophet necessarily to the people of Israel. He was the, uh, a prophet, prophet to, to his enemy. Yeah, to his enemy, the Assyrians, um, which gave ex gave glimmers of the gospel of that God's saving message would not just go to the people of Israel, but would go to the nations, which is kind of cool. Now I can't help but think that the last question there is: Does God still use prophets? All these questions, I have a feeling probably have a little bit of an assumption about what a prophet is, because yeah. when you, when we talk about prophets, we usually aren't talking necessarily just about preachers. Uh, most people, when they say prophet, you're talking about someone who kind of tells the future. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would agree with that, that, I mean, oftentimes when people say prophet, they think it's someone who can like look into their, you know, little globe or whatever and like tell the future about anything. Or sometimes people think like the writing of scripture, like if, if the canon of scripture is closed, is there any point in there being prophets anymore because much of the prophets their teachings or sayings were written down and became scripture um but actually if you look at the whole work of the prophetic writings in the old testament um there's actually a distinction i heard once uh, of there's actually two different types of prophecy uh, there is known probably what most people think of when they think of prophecy which is like telling the future predicting something that's going to happen in the future that is known as foretelling you know you've heard that phrase for you know foretelling the future right predictive 
Yes, predictive prophecy. Um, but actually, only about maybe 20 to 25% of the prophetic writings in the Old Testament are foretelling are predicting any type of future event. Wow, that's not much. Yeah, nearly 75 to 80% of the prophetic writings were actually the other, other category of prophetic writing, um, which was known as forthtelling. Now, what forthtelling meant was it was what God's thoughts or heart or opinion was on the current situation, meaning like during the time of the prophet when he was living, he was communicating what God's heart or thoughts were on what was going on in that current moment. Like if the king was living in rebellion to God's law or if the people were living in idolatry and a prophet comes and says, you need to repent or this is going to happen and that what you're doing is evil or what you're doing is wrong, you should do this instead. Um, that's what's known as forthtelling because it's not predicting a future event, it's instead Instead, saying, hey, this is what God thinks about what's going on right now. I think a lot of that, we tend to think that, that what that means is that they were supernaturally were given these words to say. And I'm not saying that that's not what happened. I think that did happen a lot. But I also think a lot of it was based in the word already, mm, what they yeah. already knew of God. Oh, yeah. There were, I mean, they're referring to the covenant obligations by them living in idolatry. There are already commands that they were not supposed to have any other gods before them. So if you think about it in that definition, then does God still use prophets today? I think the, the answer would be yes, in the sense of one thing I'm absolutely sure about anyway. What I'm absolutely sure about are there are prophets today who are foretellers. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and he says, you should eagerly desire one gift above all, and that is the gift of prophecy. Yeah. And I don't think he was necessarily talking about foretelling, hmm. but I think he was talking about so that you might uh, speak words clearly about the gospel, hmm. and that the gift, there are some people who have a gift uh, of actually preaching the gospel, you know, yeah. being able to teach the gospel, yeah. and making that very, very clear to people, and preaching that and being a prophet in that way. And sometimes when I think of prophet too, I almost think it's like almost like a conscience of the community. Mm. Yeah. You know, that, that a prophet is someone who's not afraid uh, to speak up about what they hear in the word of God, what they, you know, what they hear directly from him. That's going to challenge the community at times because it's because, you know, they want to be a conscious of the community. Yeah. So I, I would say we definitely have those people today. Yeah. I mean, and even going into the New Testament, it, Paul talks about among the spiritual gifts, one of them is prophecy. There are multiple people in the book of Acts who are referred to as prophets um, that I think God has used people, even even predictive prophecy, too, because there's the yeah. uh, there's a I'm trying to remember the name of the prophet where he predicted a famine that was going to be in Judea. And it actually ended up and there's a, actually a historical record of a. A period of famine and I think it was in the late 40s early 50s which would have been right around the time the book of Acts had been written um, so there are multiple occasions um, where prophetic type giftings are given and that those are spiritual gifts that are given um, within the Christian community and should be used well that's good hey we could go on with that but we need to move on yes. uh, next question when Moses was speaking with God in Exodus was he actually seeing God I'm a very visual person so it's hard for me to visualize this you want to take a stab at that? Well, I mean, there's several scriptures there where God does show himself to Moses. Uh, Moses, he put him in the cleft of the rock, it says, because Moses is asking to see him. And he said he passed by him and he saw his backside. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I'll be honest, I don't know if that's literal or metaphorical. Mm. Uh, I think it's hard to tell sometimes when we're reading these passages. I would love to think it's totally literal. Yeah. Uh, but does God have a physical kind of body or presence yeah. like that? 
um, I think that he could he could definitely have that uh, appear like that to us. So when you say was he actually seeing God? I, I remember the veil he had to wear for a long time because yeah, he he saw Lord. God, so that his face shone so brightly. But God put him in the cleft of the rock, and there was a lot of imagery there to for, for because God was trying to say if you really saw me, you would die. Yeah, exactly, and that's why I mean scholars throughout history have wondered whether what he was actually seeing, like the burning bush and the pillar cloud, the fire cloud, or what are known as theophanies. Theophany is, it's basically a a physical manifestation of the deity, of the divine being, of God. Yes. But not actually the fullness of who he was, because he does, like, like Darren, like you just said, does warn, if you were to see my face, you would die. That's why it's such an amazing promise at the end of Revelation, where it says, and they shall see his face. That that's the, which we're going to be getting into heaven stuff and yeah. for and future bonus content, um, but that's actually a promise. Which I mean, to understand the presence of God should be a great excitement. Is that we that human beings would finally be able to bear the full presence of God, which is a beautiful thing. Um, but I would say in the Old Testament, were you know were they actually seeing God? Uh, they were seeing Him to the degree that they could bear, and God knows that. Let's that, say I think that every story we have in the Bible, I think Moses is probably the closest. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> there's other examples where God. it's always interesting because it says an angel of the Lord comes to them yes. and begins talking, but the way the angel talks, he uses the first person yes. language as if he is God himself. So, I mean, there's been well, multiple... Well, you got you to wonder in the garden when he says, I walked with him every day, or when he yeah. walked, you know, was that an angel? Yeah. I mean, and so that's yeah. what people have wondered is, was an angel of the Lord actually acting as a proxy, essentially, because they couldn't bear the actual presence of God was acting as a proxy. Some have even wondered, and there's no way to know this, this is speculation. Some have wondered if those times when it says an angel of the Lord, because the word angel, both in Hebrew and Greek, literally just means messenger. messenger yeah. They have wondered if that was actually a Christophany meaning it was a pre-incarnate manifestation of, of Christ. Christ. And so that would mean those physical pre- presences on the earth were actually Christ before he took on human form. And we won't go into this anymore. But That's I'm gonna, huge. I'm going to throw, throw this out there just to confuse matters Let even bake more. Noodle. There are some people who actually think Melchizedek in the Old Testament oh, was, yeah. was a man of a Christophany yeah. as well. That's really so interesting. Very good. Let it bake yeah. your noodle. Yeah. <laughs> not saying it's true. I'm not sure I know enough about it, but it was just interesting. That's a good question. Next one. We had several that were about Adam and Eve. So I'm going to read all of them together and then we'll kind yeah, of go yeah, through go them. For it. If Eve didn't eat the apple, how many other temptations would the devil have tried? Good question. Did everyone in the whole world come from Adam and Eve? And how can that be if, if she only had two kids? Didn't God have to make more people? And how often did Satan tempt Eve before she bit the apple? Those are three major Adam and Eve questions. But we'll start with this first one. If Eve didn't eat the apple, how many other temptations would the devil have tried? Uh, it's, it's hard to know because not a lot of details are given about. We're, we're literally just told about that initial temptation. Um, because I think what was so significant about what that temptation represented was that... Because we often think of Adam and Eve as perfect, morally perfect, um, but really probably the better way to understand them is that they were morally innocent. I don't think that they were of the full spiritual maturity that Christ is or that we will be once we're you know, fully glorified and in Christ's presence. Um, so, I mean, 
this was in a sense, which is why whenever they fell into sin, the reason God didn't want them in the garden anymore is because had they eaten of the tree of life after having sinned, they would have lived forever in their sinful fallen state. So the conjecture has been thrown. And again, this is speculation was had they said no, like maybe that was the pinnacle singular temptation. And had they said no, then he would have let them eat of the tree of life and they would have lived forever in their unfallen state. Again, it's, it's speculation. Don't know that for sure. So in terms of them being tempted over and over and over again after that continually, I don't know. Another speculative, another speculation, if you will. Um, we always look at things on the backside, not the front side. Here's what I mean by that. On the backside, we kind of look at, okay, well, if they didn't sin at that point that the Bible's talking about, then would they have been tempted later? What about the front side? Meaning how many times maybe the devil had been tempting them for a long time? Maybe, yeah. Maybe he'd been talking to them for a long time. Maybe this wasn't something they just jumped into on the very first maybe, thing. Maybe, yeah. Because we really don't know. We don't know. It doesn't that. really, it just tells us it happened, basically. Yeah. They gave in to the temptation. We need to be very... We know what the temptation was. And, and this is the hard part about interpreting scripture is we have to be very careful about not interpreting things in the silence of scripture. Meaning... The scripture says what it says for the reason that it says it and sometimes leaves out particular things that that there's it's not necessarily saying something by leaving leaving something that it leaves out if that makes sense sorry I feel like sure a little bit no sure there we don't read into what we call eisegesis or reading into the text yeah. don't read something into the text that's not necessarily there and I'm not trying to do that as much as uh, when we talk about speculation that's all we can do because because of those gaps in the scripture we really don't we don't know how long that went on yeah so it's interesting uh, that's good did everyone in the whole world come from Adam and Eve and how can it that be if she only had two kids didn't God have to make more people? I they said two kids, but I think they mean three. They're actually three listed: yeah. Cain and Abel. Which and doesn't Seth. it say that even after Cain was killed, that they had many more children? Yeah, it, yeah, but it just lists the names of three. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right yeah. again, and I mean this goes back to what I just said: the argument from silence that just because it doesn't say overtly anything about any other children being had, that therefore there were no other children. That's what I was saying. We have to be really, really careful sometimes when we look at these texts. Like this was like the story of uh, Cain and Abel and Seth and all of that was meant to communicate the one point that it was meant to communicate, which was the idea of sin was spreading into the human family. And it was escalating because it, it one, it went from deception and lies to murder and then you and then you see it spread as the fam, as the family of humanity begins to spread you see it becomes so wicked that eventually the flood has to come and you know and, and wipe everything out so again be really really careful about not using arguments of silence and saying that something didn't happen just because it's not overtly talked about in scripture it may have just been if there were other children had um, afterward it may have just had nothing to do with the writer's point so it's not mentioned. Yeah, I think that you can understand why Cain and Abel was mentioned because yeah. of the murder. Yeah. You can understand why Seth is mentioned because it was Christ through, came through his yeah, line. It was through his line, yeah. So, and that's that's mentioned in, other, in the Gospels, I think. Yeah. Even back to in Luke. Yes. 
But I here's the thing I think is interesting. I'm going to throw something out that <laughs> maybe you could stop me and I need to edit this out. <laughs> I'm just going to throw this out there. But I think it's really interesting, again, these times of silence that we have in the Scripture. Mm. Do we even know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall? No. And do we even know whether or not they had kids or other there were other kids involved before the fall? Mm. Because her curse is pain and childbirth. So you wonder, did she know childbirth without pain? Mm. So I just, I'm just throwing that out there. I always yeah. thought it was an interesting discussion. I'm not saying I know anything you're about just, it. You're other just trying than, to bake our noodle, man. That's right. I'm just having fun. <laughs> so if that's, with that being the case, could there have been a great population on the earth before time actually started? Mm. Before sin came into the world. That's interesting. Before, and was was Adam, we know he was like 930 years old or something, but when did that time start? Yeah. You know, so it's just, the whole thing's just really interesting. Very interesting. Uh, how often did uh, Satan tempt Eve before she bit the apple? Uh, I mean... Uh, we kind of answered that. Yeah, I was going to say, we, I mean, we, we don't know. We don't know that yeah. for sure. I mean, the scriptures, the way the story tells, there's the one temptation, and maybe that was all it took. It was that particular temptation. Now, maybe Satan tried to tempt her in other ways before. We don't know that. Um, again, I'm trying not to speculate either way, yes or no, going from an argument of silence. All we know is the story of the one temptation in which they did, she did give in to, and Adam did as well. So. Okay. Let's go on to the other ones. Uh, what is the firmament, and why was the first day of creation dedicated to it? I'll let you take that one. Oh, gosh. Thanks. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because you, you also have this two two things of light, like the, let there be light, Yeah. God says right away, and then the sun's created later. Mm. So you're like, what is that light then? <laughs> <laughs> and so much, and I feel like so much of even some of the language that's used then is more reflective of ancient world cosmology, the way they understood the heavens and the higher heavens and the lower heavens and, you know, the firmament being talked about some sort of a body of water or something like that. Or the atmosphere. Or yeah, that possibly that so, when you say heavens, could it be you created the universe and then you created the actual atmosphere of yeah. Uh, of in the, the basically the form of the earth. Yeah. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of. And I I've actually heard this. I don't know how true this is, but actually actually it was reading an article where uh, some scientists have actually said that possibly long time ago the earth atmosphere will actually was made up of a ton of water. Hmm. A sack of water that surrounded the atmosphere. Yeah. They think maybe that's when the flood the yeah. flood basically drained that. Uh, and made changes to the ozone and et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I really, I'm not an expert on that. And I just read, I'm, I'm like everybody else. You just read things here and there and you find them to be curious. Uh, but we really, I really don't have a good answer for this. It's a good question. Uh, but I think it's, I, my, I lean towards the fact that it's the form of the earth, the beginning of the earth, the atmosphere and so forth that separates it from space. Yeah. And so, and I mean, th and this is the hard thing about a lot of these questions about the way things were really, really long time ago, um, is we begin to bump into a category of what's called historical science. And this is commonly, you know, as people get into the evolution creation debates and things like that is they're arguing about something that can't be measured or replicated. And so it's very, very hard to, you know, it's like, 
scientists make very strong assertions about the way certain things were in the past, but there's no there's no real verifiable like I can measure it, I can repeat the experiment over and over. There's no way to do that with historical science because you're referring to an event that happened in the past or the way something was in the past, and all we can see is the effects of the current world and hypothesize and postulate what we think caused it. Um, and I don't know my, I'm not big knowledgeable about a lot of that stuff, but the one beef I have on both sides of a lot of these arguments is the lack of humility. Oh yeah. Is that we assume even though man, scientists have changed their mind and re evaluated their hypothesis, hypothesis a thousand times yet each new one they give, they give with a hundred percent certainty saying that is the way it is, and then 20 years later, it changes to something else. 30 years later, it changes to something else. I'm like, I don't know. There's a part of me, which, again, I'm not a scientist, but just to say, hey, can we just admit we have no idea what we're talking about? And let's and let's, <laughs> let's throw it out this direction, too. It's also That also goes for theologians. Oh, yes. And, and what I mean by that is the fact that you think of Galileo, how persecuted he was basically by the church for the things that he was saying, which yeah. found out later scientifically are accurate. Yes. Now... When you look back, the reason why they persecuted him, if you will, in a way, in a way uh, placed him under house arrest and so forth, try to get him to shut up, was because it, they thought it disagreed with the scripture. Yeah, when really it didn't. No, it didn't. And we know that now, and we would kind of laugh at it. It disagreed with their interpretation of the scripture. Yes. And so I warn us, I guess, in a little bit, that it's not only the scientists, but also the theologians that can, can yeah. be kind of arrogant in thinking that we have it all together and we do believe in god's word we believe god's word is god's word i mean that's for sure but it doesn't necessarily mean that that we've got it all figured out that's for sure so good stuff hey how do dinosaurs fit into the succession of creation in the bible i think this is kind of a simple answer i maybe I'm, i'm probably oversimplifying it and i apologize to whoever wrote this if you're looking for something more than this uh but the truth is the bible doesn't talk about all sorts of animals it, it talks speaks, about the creation of animals. It, and it speaks in very vague categories, yes. too. And again, this, I mean, I go back to the whole argument from silence thing that to assume that, you know, they don't fit into, you know, the story of creation just because they're not specifically, Tyrannosaurus Rex was not yeah. specifically mentioned, but it's like... We you, think they're unique, so they should be mentioned. Yeah. But... But in the creation account... They spoke in very vague categories of all the different types of creatures that were created. And it's very possible that they were counted among those categories of creation. Sure. And my point, I've always kind of said this in jest, kind of tongue in cheek, but I think it's true. The Bible doesn't doesn't say anything about squirrels, but I believe in them. <laughs> you know, because when you look at Genesis, it doesn't mention squirrels as being created. Uh, but we, we don't even talk about them when it comes to any sort of other like contradictions that we feel are, g- are going against Genesis or problems that we have with the creation account. You believe account. in squirrels? You're anti-Bible. Exactly. See, we don't do that. So why would we do that with dinosaurs? To me, it's the same exact argument. In fact, you can actually make the case that there's so many dinosaurs now that we've found and so many variations that why would it, it may not have been abnormal at the time. Mm. It's abnormal to us because they're extinct. Mm. Now, I understand why I think some people take this as far as they do, simply because of the dating that's out there yeah. uh, when it comes to, well, these dinosaurs are so millions of years old before man and so forth. There have been a studies I know that have shown that there are man's uh, evidence of man in the same sedimentary level as dinosaurs, yeah. that they live side by side. 
I've I've read that. I've heard that. I don't. I to be honest, I'm not really up to date enough to know exactly what all that, what you know, what all is exact, you know, scientifically fact. Uh, but what I will say is that this is going to be an argument that's always going to be with us because we are finite and we have a hard time. Deci- we're trying all, all of us are trying in some sort of way to to look at our world and try to define it a little bit and try to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, but and I think we need to have enough humility to be able to say, hey, you know what? God is yeah. still right, even if I don't understand it or if I'm wrong in my understanding of it. And I think it's about time that Christians start, you know, kind of stop chewing each other up yeah. on their own creation theories. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and and try to join forces with the idea of, of trying to preach to the world that we do believe in a creator God. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So last question. How can we uh, reconcile the Epic of Gilgamesh with the story of Noah? Do you want to tell people what the Epic of Gilgamesh wow. is? I guess I would like to assume everyone knows what it is. But... It's a Sumerian myth. Yeah, didn't your parents read, read the Epic of Gilgamesh to you when you were a kid? <laughs> Which is Assyrian, Ooh. by the way. And it was found in the library of, uh, of the Ninevites. Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, but back way back when, I mean, it's basically an author wrote just kind of like the Iliad and the Odyssey or other stories like yeah. that. Uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh is stories of the gods and goddesses and the fights yeah. and the and the, and the superhero, like Hercules kind of guy. And Gilgamesh. I think probably the reason why they're mentioning that in conjunction with the story of Noah is because in the Epic of Gilgamesh, there is a particular part that mentions a worldwide flood. Yes. Way back when. This is this dates way back. Ancient. Yeah. And so, I don't know. People mention that is problematic, but I don't know. Maybe this is the way I think about it. Have you ever played the telephone game? <laughs> yeah. I mean, are we surprised that if there was an actual worldwide flood event as recorded in the, you know, story of Noah, Noah and the Ark, are we surprised that other regions of the world, other faiths, that that, that story crops up even in the midst of their mythology, even in the midst of their stories of their gods and goddesses, um, if anything, that would prove the veracity of it. The truth of it is the fact that all of these different worldwide civilizations that had almost no connection with each other are all pointing to a singular event in which the world was flooded. Um, that could potentially point to the truth of that story. It could. It could also be another story. We really don't yeah. know, to be honest. There were, the reason this has become kind of a popular understanding even in today's cultures because of a man by the name of George Smith back in the 1800s. But 1880 actually wrote a book uh, out there. He was an expert on translating and getting into the into the Epic of Gilgamesh. And he, he wrote a book on uh, basically the Babylonian flood story. Oh, yeah. He likened it, taking the Chaldean story and likened it to the flood story that's in the Bible. And so he makes all the parallels and the connections. Yeah. So a lot of people have, have naturally connected it because of people like George Smith who have who kind of started that process. But I I tell you what, that's not the only flood story out there. Yeah, Epic of Gilgamesh is a more famous one. Yeah, uh, But there's another one I think, um, I'm going to mispronounce this, so I won't even pronounce it, but there's a couple other, couple other ones that I think are really interesting that talk about floods. And they talk about whether it seemed like a, you know, a gigantic flood. And um, it, it, like you said, to your point, uh, well, if there was a flood that was worldwide, or at least in the known, you know, whether it was global, whether it was regional, at least in the known world, yeah, uh, then it would make sense that there are several stories that, that are going to come out about it, not just the biblical one. Yeah, absolutely.
Okay. Well, that about ties things up for today. Uh, we're going to be doing another uh, episode, uh, another couple episodes for Q and eggs. We still have a lot of questions to go. Uh, the next categories that we have are New Testament and a miscellaneous type group of questions. And that may take us two or three episodes to get through. Yeah. Uh, one of the the uh, New Testament group of questions will be on our GL Talk one. And then the miscellaneous questions we're going to answer right here on Underground. So look for bonus content on both of those podcasts. Uh, tune in, tell your friends, and tell them to go to www.newhopechurch.cc slash listen. And that will get you to all of the podcasts that we have here in the New Hope Podcast Network. Thank you, Pastor Tyler Sturkey. Hey, thank you, Pastor Darren Hansen. And we'll, we'll see you later. Thank you.